second episode of Squeaky Bum Time of a new season, I guess you could effectively say, and I'm so happy that the show is actually back, that we can have guests from that. Last week it was Paul Robinson, Nigel Winterburn, so North London were united for once on a very, very rare occasion, and now we've got someone else from London, Mr. Jody Jody Morris. Morris, and someone else from London, <laughs> she's very London-centric kind of yeah. show right now, uh, Adam Kerberstreet, and Kish alongside me. You, you could also say that we've got um, someone who is in KL for the first time, uh, which is Alan. Um, and you've got someone who is now a veteran, you could say, of Kuala Lumpur as well. Yeah. Since that he's been here since 1997. Mm. Not Jody since Morris. been here in 1997. I'm going to argue since. <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, you looked very different then. He was such a baby face play. I still remember you as, as a... Uh, are you kid. saying I've really aged? No, I'd say <laughs> you matured gracefully like George Clooney. <laughs> but the beard just adds a completely different... Aesthetic. Well, you got to cover up the chins when you get a bit older, don't you? So. I remember that tip if I could grow a beard. <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> what are your memories of being in Malaysia all those years ago, 20 years ago? Um, the heat, for starters, because I wasn't used to playing football in um, this sort of climate. We had to have 10 days in Singapore to acclimatise and playing games at um, that sort of heat was a, a little bit of a shock to the system. Training at, I think it was like half seven in the morning to try and avoid um, the sort of like the, the, the peak, heat. the peak heat, yeah. So um, no, but it was fun. We had a real good group of uh, players, a good squad, and it was it was fun times. In I suppose you could say times when you could maybe do a little bit more than what most players could do now um, when you're away with uh, the international team. So it was, it was good fun. And a lot of good players on that side, including yourself. Yeah, I mean, well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, Michael Owen, Danny Murphy. Jason Yule, Jamie Carragher, Kieran Dyer, Ronnie Woolwork. Um, yeah, it was a, a real good group of players that of um, slightly different ages. Um, I was only 17 at the time, but there was a few that were sort of like 19, 20, and some even younger. As Michael Owen was a year younger than me and the youngest in the group, but I think we all saw um, where later. his career was going, yeah, a year <laughs> later. So, no, great fun, and unfortunately, we got knocked out in the quarterfinals to the eventual winners, Argentina, who had a fairly decent team themselves. So, yeah, good fun, but um, disappointing not to win it. Is there a hand of God there? No, there wasn't. <laughs> I, um, I, I think I tried to use my hands a few times to stop Pablo Amar and Raquel me in midfield. But, um, yeah, no, they was, they was a top team and, and just about deserved to do it. Yeah, I think I think it's a it's a combination that a lot of Malaysians remember that Raquel me and Pablo Aymar. Because, um, in fact, Pablo Aymar went on to play for a Malaysian club towards the tail end of his career as yeah. well, oh, Johor okay, Narotakzim. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of Johor fans remember him from his time uh, when he played at the Under-20 uh, under World Cup in 1997. Um, Alan, you're in KL for the first time. How do you yeah. find it so far? Uh, I've enjoyed it so far. I mean, I hit the ground running, I must admit. <laughs> I came Saturday morning and then, you know, virtually straight into the games on Saturday. And... Um, Lost a little bit of track. I know. I know it's still Monday, but it could be Tuesday soon. And uh, but yeah, I'm getting the climate. I, I'm enjoying every minute of it. Just want to say we're not taskmasters here. We did take Alan out for lunch first when we arrived. We didn't just <laughs> bring him from the airport straight to the studio to do back-to-back games. You did no, have a. You had an hour's kip as well. Yeah, I want to add. Yeah. We gave you that. We gave you. Alan's got the lingo kip. <laughs> just a few, a few words here. Yeah, you caught up. Um, but how are you finding Malaysia? How are you finding the climate? Are you glad you didn't have to play football? in this humidity. Yeah, yeah but uh, climate change is, is making sure that now, in back home in England, that they're playing in 
30 de degrees and 34 degrees. A dry heat though, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, a bit yeah. different. Yeah, it's, uh, I think the players are finding it tough. Uh, no, I've never experienced playing in these sort of conditions, so uh, you know, I wouldn't really know. I said earlier that I took Charlton to China for a pre-season tour, <laughs> and that was difficult. That's what Jody was saying, that you had to make sure you trained in certain times because of the rains. You knew the rain was going to come. And they played the games at certain times as well, so uh, that was an interesting tour. Yeah. Charlton in China. Those were the days then. I know, man. Yeah, I, I have so <laughs> many memories of Charlton. I really do. I, yeah. I'll, I'll be digging your I'm trying to work out why we was there, really. But anyway. <laughs> sponsors. It's all about the yeah, sponsors. Yeah, it was. It was. There you go. You, I, I think in this particular episode, um, there's one angle that I feel that we should really dive in and, and speak about in depth. Because um, one of the things, there's obviously the trending topic at the moment is transfers, right? Everybody's just transfers. And it's... It's the usual season. It's towards the end of August. Things are starting to pick up. Panic is starting to set in amongst clubs. Um, and as usual, transfers have also evolved over the years. And it's become a lot more complex. The processes are a lot more dense these days. Um, and I think fans out there are a lot more curious as well mm. as to how things happen uh, behind the scenes. And, and in Jody and Alan, we've got two individuals who have obviously been behind the scenes in terms of understanding and being a part of some of these processes. Let me just start with Alan, maybe. Yeah. Um, when you talk about transfers these days in the, in the modern game, you think of um, uh, online scouting, you think of data uh, analytics, you think of um, players taking airplanes and flying within a day between two locations and having medicals overseas. Um, tell us a little bit of what transfers were like in the older days. Yeah, because I, I'm going to chip in here, because given when you started your management career, right up to the present day, you were operating pre-Bosman and post-Bosman. Mm. So you would have seen the difference and perhaps the growth in player power yeah. from back in the day to the present time. I think you've seen the growth of uh, agent power. Agent mm. power. Agent power. They're, they're, they're the dominant force. Um, like it or loathe it, you've got to get involved with them. and. Um, you know, they make decisions, sometimes they make decisions without the player even knowing. You know, um, they could they could sometimes not even let the player know that a certain club has come in because they want the player to go to the club they want him to go to, either because they think it's the better club and it's better for the player, or it's maybe better for them, I don't know. But it is very difficult to transfers now, and I should imagine they take a lot of time to get over the line. Um, it was much more simpler when I started off. Um, you know, you, you used to phone the manager and say, I'm interested in Jody Morris. Would you sell him? Yeah, yeah, we'll sell him. Uh, well, what sort of figure? Okay, I'll get back to you. And then you start talking to the manager or and then the chairman to get involved. How do you want the money paid? Do you want it paid all up front? We can do that, but you've got to take some off. Um, or we do it over the, the length of the contract or we do it in free pay. You know, that financial side was much more simpler. Um, now it's much more difficult. You used to phone the, phone the when I first started, you used to, as I say, phone the manager. They'll give you permission to talk to the player. You'll talk to the player. You'll discuss it. Happy that he's going to come. Then you start talking terms. And then you have a medical. Um, I found later on, with agent power, you might as well talk to the agent first. Mm. Um, is he going to come? before you even spoke to the opposition, uh, before you talked to the club. And in the end, I, when I first started, I tried to do the medical first. Because medical, uh, lots of transfers were breaking down because of medical. 
and that's really bad for the player, especially if it gets out. So uh, I used to try and do the medical. Once we've agreed everything, if I'm, let's get the medical done, see if you're okay, um, and then proceed down the route. But you know, it got to the stage before I left West Ham that you, you spoke to the agent first and sorted that side out before you even got anywhere else because they were making the breaking deals. Did you, were you ever apprehensive about trying to make a deal happen back in the days when you dealt with a manager because you didn't get on with said manager? There yeah. must have been some. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. But, uh, it's business, you know, you, you, you get on with it. And I said earlier, when I first started uh, as a manager, the managers in the Premier League were, were no disrespect, but they were more British. And so after a game, you took that opportunity to have half an hour. And Jody would say, when he was with Frank, you'd, and you'd, you'd probably, Moisey or, or Allardyce or Bruce, you know, you'd have a chance to have a chat. What you're doing? Oh, I really fancy Jody Morris. Would you ever let him go? You know, you, the conversations went on like that, or you picked the phone up during the week. Then as the Premier League evolved, and more foreign managers come in, they, they had a different way of life, different way of managing. They didn't quite enjoy coming after a game and having a glass of wine, you know, and or having a chat. It was more like they was going to get on the bus and go. So you had to adjust. Uh, so you've had to adjust the way transfers were conducted, and you've had to adjust the way you deal with uh, agents and players. What well, what was it like for you, Jody? I mean, during your playing career, were your transfers between clubs as simple and as straightforward as Alan just described the process to be? No, not at all. Um, I wish they were, um, but not because of a massive change in. But but a lot of the stuff that Alan said there kind of happened with me. I mean, even at the end of my career, bumping into certain managers that managed at certain teams that I thought didn't want me or had heard that certain things had changed at the end of saying no, 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 you're. Your agent said you didn't want to come and want or wanted this, mm. and said that, that you wanted too much money. And I was like, I didn't even exactly what Al was saying. He's like, I was like, I didn't even know that you you, you wanted me. Like, I I knew a couple of things that had gone over my career where I knew the club had turned things down, but it wasn't from the club pulling me in and going, by the way, so and so wants to sign you, and uh, we've turned it down. It was the other side of it where I was being told by an agent that had said. But just so you know, and I then had to go in to the club and say, is this right? Like, well, what does that mean then? You're turning it down because what? Not enough money or you don't want to sell me? I'm hoping it's because you don't want to sell me. But then that means, right, any danger of a new contract then? <laughs> yeah. Because, um, but as, as you said, it's, I was one of the ones that um, I would say was going through the transition of maybe the agents being a lot more... Um, powerful and having a little bit more responsibility but at the same time there was people not only players adjusting but I think clubs were adjusting as well and whereas in since we've been over here actually and Alan's told quite a, a lot of stories of when he was managing and having to do everything himself like as in dealing with agents dealing with what you would say now is that what I found when I came over the other side since retiring is that there's so many people in place to try and I think take that load off the manager which 
there's pros and cons for both. You say, OK, mm -hmm. yep, take the load off the manager. We've got recruitment that will maybe take care of a lot of watching players. We've got people that are dealing purely with contracts and dealing with agents. But then the flip side of that, if you're going, OK, so the manager can focus on what he wants to focus on. Sometimes there are conversations that are going on behind cl closed doors that the manager don't really know exactly is that what's happened. Mm. Does, does the player want to come and all of a sudden the, the people above are saying, yeah, 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 he doesn't want to come. The agent said, no, no way, or the club's turned it down. When you're not actually having those conversations like Alan would have had as a manager, so he knows he's spoken face to face with people or, or spoken to the right people, conversations are going on now at football clubs where you're getting told certain things and you're going, has that happened or does it just suit upstairs that, um, that this doesn't happen or this has to happen type stuff, do you know what I mean? So I think at least there's pros and cons for both, but at least I think when Alan was hands-on with so much going on, at least you knew a little bit more for yourself because you was the one having the conversations. your future at a club if a new manager comes in do you do you feel some managers don't give every squad player a decent opportunity to prove themselves because it seems that nowadays you're not going to have a legacy at a club like Alan had at Charlton what was it 15 16 years at one club mm. so Alex United Arsene Wenger at Arsenal now the turnover is so fast in football and I'm sure players can be very fearful of, of job security when managers come and go and they can find themselves transfer listed without even knowing it. Yeah, but um, I honestly would say that the problem is more the other way of when you, you're going into a club, because of the, the time span now that you're spending at a football club, players are automatically sitting there thinking, OK, I'm not playing, but I'll outlast you, you'll be, you'll be gone in a year. Like, so when they're not playing it and things don't suit them, go, yeah, OK, no problem. All right, I might go on loan for a year, but I'll still be at said club because I've, I've got three years left on my contract, mm -hmm. which if you look at the average time that managers get, get at a club nowadays, it's mm. shorter than that. And, and also I would, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Alan will tell you from his point of view, but also I believe that if you're a manager and you know you're on a tight schedule, let's say, surely you don't manage to the best of your abilities as well. Because if you felt that you had time with a group of players and all were going to be given time, you would maybe nurture a bit more, maybe... Um, Ride the storm, look, Yeah, look, yeah, not even the storm. Sometimes it's, it's how you deal with the good times that you, you have to be careful with because everyone then starts expecting stuff. I mean, we only look at West Ham right now or, or Brendan. We, we was talking about Leicester and West Ham a lot yesterday and people would be looking at Brendan thinking he's under pressure purely on the strength of, OK, they've gone through a bit of a bad patch, but look at what he's done previously and then look at what's happened with the investment and players that are being taken off him and stuff like that. From football point of view, you'd say, well, a lot of that's out of his hands. You look at West Ham and the expectancy that has come from a season of performing really well last year, and now all of a sudden you're like, oh, where are they, where are they going to be? So it, I think it, there's pros and cons to both, but at the same time it's like, well, okay, let's not forget at West Ham how well we've done last year. Let's not... Don't, all, all people texting 
people at West Ham saying, oh my God, can't believe how bad we are. Can't believe uh, oh, that, that state, the stadium's not good for us. We need to go back to the, I mean, that, that sort of conversations I'm being told already through Alan that it's that that's going on and you're like oh my god no, yeah. like, how quickly can you forget how yeah. well you done last year but unfortunately that is the world of football at the minute it's not just football I've done like conferences for uh, content development I worked with Cartoon Network and all these big brands and they they were saying to me that the animations now the cartoons now have to be shorter than when I was a child because the attention span is so short. Yeah. And if you look at the social media apps like TikTok, you're supposed to consume content in 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. So you're always looking for that next high, that next dopamine hit. You're always looking for the next story, which is why in the world mm -hmm. of football, things can change, perceptions can change so fast because we don't have attention spans anymore. And I think that's, that's also, that's probably why also, I think FIFA themselves had preliminary talks about potentially shortening football matches yeah. to about 70 minutes or something. Yeah. They were discussing the possibility of it. Um, I, I want to take the discussion a little bit towards the agents because I find that really fascinating. Um, agents came into the picture as a method of protecting the players, um, helping them, protecting them. Um, but obviously somewhere along the line, a line has been crossed um, and now many in the community feel that they have overbearing powers. Um, Alan, where do you think that line is? At, at what point did they start becoming like incredibly powerful? Well, I think when... When the money came into the Premier League, we were talking about the Premier League, when the big money started coming into the Premier League because, you know, Sky, fantastic what they did, you know, uh, in the throes of the Premier League and the way it was all evolved. And look now, we're talking, you know, me and Jody are out here now watching the Premier League. The Premier League goes to 180 countries. It's incredible uh, where it's going to and the money that is coming in. So with the money, when the money came in, it became more and more difficult. And listen, when we and when I played and Jody played early on, probably we went in and saw the manager, got our contracts. I wished I had an agent in some respects because I really wanted to go to, but I really wanted to go to Aston Villa, and whatever Ron Saunders was going to give me, I was going <laughs> to, I was going to sign. I wanted to go to Aston Villa. Just won the European Cup, you know. But an agent now might say, no, I've done some homework, and uh, this is the wage structure at that club. I've spoke to another agent who's got three players there, so I know what the wage structure is. And there's no way you're not going in as, unless you're in the top four of the earners. That's, you know, and so, so agents have done a fantastic job for the players, but also there's good agents and bad agents. Mm. And you know, the dark side, unfortunately, you have to get involved in that because if you don't, then you're not going to be able to get the players. Agents now, may look after 10, 20, 30 players. They have a whole so, team. So <laughs> if you upset, upset the agent on one of them, then you may end up making sure that you ain't going to get a chance with the other 28, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean, or whatever else has come along. And it's a fact of life. And I know that some chairman, I know that some managers just won't deal, won't do it. And, some, and, and, and other managers and, and owners are in full on, because mm -hmm. they know that's the only way to get a Jody Morris if you want him or etc. So. It's a balancing act. You have to, and what I said earlier is quite true. I would rather talk to the agent first to find out the, 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 the finances before going through all the other stuff because you know it could fall down on the agent. So, uh, yeah, they're a fact of life. And like anything, there's good ones and bad ones. Yeah, I, I think that's important. Like, it, there's so many that are um, 
really good for players, really good for looking after their finances, really good to getting them um, support away from the football pitch, supporting their family, Take sometimes taking on um, players that are in a little bit of trouble away from football or at home and sort of help helping nurture them. There are ones, and, and even, even if I'm talking about a, a silly story regarding, a silly story, but a story regarding me where I felt that I should have been kept in the, the light about certain things that was said, absolutely. But I'm sure that agent has done a great job for other um, players as well. It's just it's, it's the way it goes. Have you ever terminated the services of an agent whilst you were, whilst you were playing football because you were misrepresented or you felt your interests weren't exactly aligned with theirs? Yeah, no, I've never actually gone through that during a, a, a contract. Um, as I said, a lot of the things I, I kind of found out a little bit later. And then there was long periods where I didn't even have an agent um, towards the end of my career and I wasn't in so much demand. I was, I was talking myself with with the, the manager and then the chairman of the club when, when I was older, do you know what I mean? So um, that's a lot to do with the fact of the level that I was playing at and I wasn't in, as I said, in, in as much demand. But even now coming out of football of late, the last year or so, I've I've signed with an agency, and they've been really good for me. Do you know what I mean? And with the support that comes um, as being a coach and being a potential manager and trying looking for managers' jobs, they I think you need to have one now if you're looking for for jobs. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I think to sum it up, um, when the Premier League evolved, the clubs and the managers basically had more power over the players. And as it's evolved, the agents have got, it's swung the other way now. And it's, I think it's swung a bit too much. And I think the only way it can come on an even kill is, is if the agents, um, there's a set figure, there's a set percentage, there's a set set of rules, regulation. Um, and as Jody said, and, and I said earlier, that there's good ones and bad ones, but you know, when they're bad, you know, they, they decide where the player's gonna go maybe not in the best interest of the player um, but they're making that decision and I, I found that the players even when you've secured them would rather listen to their agent than listen to the manager on certain things so it's difficult uh, but if you're not going to as I said earlier you either get involved or you don't um, and I think it's better to get involved I wonder how diplomatic you are of an agent or an agency perhaps you didn't like I've had Tony Pulis here in the studio with me. I've had Sam Allardyce here with me. They're very straightforward talkers, as I'm sure you well know. I can just imagine them literally saying, hey, fuck off. Oh. No, you can say what you want in this. It's oh, fine. Okay. It's fine. Language All right. Oh, okay. I right. okay. Yeah. Uh, I can literally <laughs> imagine them saying, fuck off. Yeah. I can imagine you being perhaps a little bit more diplomatic or am I reading the room or really. the wrong? No, you, you, would, you would also not call really. them out. I, I, not really. I, you know... Um... I've had an agent phoning me up and saying, why aren't you playing my player? And I've said, what's nothing to do with you? Nothing to do with you? Well, yeah. I'm not playing him. Well, well, and then the, the agent's gone to the chief executive. And the chief executive's come on to me going, well, you do know he's the highest paid, or the second highest paid player. You know, putting a little bit of pressure, why aren't mm. you playing him? Um, and I'm saying, well, another thing, you know, really, what's it to do with you? <laughs> I'm picking the team. You're the gaffer. I'm the manager. And there's only one manager, to quote Fergie. You know, because I was brought up on that era. Um, yeah, it's, so, so sometimes you, you fall out with agents. 
Well, let me tell you, if it's a deal to be done, they, they soon come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. Um, but I tended, I tended to let, when I first started for Charlton, for most of my time at Charlton, I tended to let the chairman do it. And actually, Richard Murray was the chairman. He then employed an agent to um, sift through the good players being off, or, or the bad players, and doing all the, the donkey work, if mm. you like. So say, for instance, I wanted to sign Jody, then it's the fourth time you said that. Yeah, <laughs> I wish he was saying this when I was playing, by the yeah. way. <laughs> but, but then the chairman's agent, if you like, would go and talk to that agent, do all the, the hard graft, the yeah. meetings and the chats and the finances, and then come back and go, well, it's a done deal, but this is... Because as a chairman at the time, you'd be inundated. You'd be, you'd be taking phone calls all day mm. from, from, from agents saying, I've got this player, I've got that player, are you interested? And, and, and as I say, you had to get in with them. You couldn't just blank them because, you know, they won't phone you no more. And then, oh, the next time you phone them, well, you ain't spoke to me for a year. Well, you know, well, you've put the phone down on me. Like. So, no, you have to, it's, it's a must. But as I say, I think it has just gone a little bit too far. And I don't know, I, I understand agents abroad, I'm talking about the Premier League now, I think agents abroad are regulated X amount percentage. It's not the same, I think, in England. It's a little bit more difficult. Um, so I think that it's going back to what you said. It's gone too too much the other mm. way. It needs to come back a little bit. Didn't you start off as a joint manager at Charlton? Yeah. So did you pawn off some of the uh, hard work to your joint manager, the co-manager, no, no, Mr. Grant? It was it was interesting because <coughs> we had to sit down and decide how we were going to do this. What happened was, I was I was first team player coach with Lenny Lawrence. Lenny Lawrence was trying to sign Alan Kernigan from Middlesbrough, who we had on loan. And while he was talking to Steve Gibson, Steve Gibson offered him the job, oh. Lenny Lawrence. So Lenny just went that summer and just left the club. And I was first team coach and Steve Grip was reserve team coach. So they, they, the, the owners just give us the job, basically. That's amazing, though. Yeah, but we just, I said earlier, we'd just gone from Sellers Park, where we've been for five years, and we're just now playing at Upton Park. You know, we had no ground, no manager, and 14 players. And funny enough, Lenny's last thing he'd done was sign Johnny Bumstead. Mm. And Johnny's come from Chelsea, and he's coming to see me and Gritty and going, well, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> and like, I knew John a little bit. I went, no, John, you're all right with us. Like, you know, we just get in here and whatever. Um, but we decided that we'd do two, two press conferences on the spin. So I'd have an home game and an away game. I didn't want it that one of us had two home games where you might win, and the other one had two away games where you might not be so successful. And if the chairman phoned, we had to get our story straight. You know, we was joint managers, so if he phoned on Friday and said, what's the team? We'd have to make sure we decided what the team was on a Thursday, because if he got me, I'd have to tell him. And if he got gritty, he'd have to tell him. Yeah. We couldn't be contradicting ourselves. We got called Tweedledee, Tweedledum, <laughs> uh, in the press and everything else. It was, it was unique, it happened a couple of other places. I think it happened at Ch uh, Spurs. And Liverpool. And the Spurs with Ray Clements, I think, and Livermore, I think, I can't remember. Hey, you guys lasted about four or five years together. No, we lasted, we four, lasted uh, three? three years. Three years, okay. Three years. And, and, and in all fairness, the, fair, uh, the chairman got fed up with it. It was because we evolved and we, we had a new chairman from when we took over. A guy came in, put money in, and he decided that he wanted to make a change. And... He came to me and said, look, I'm going to make a change and I'm going to offer you the job. 
but if you don't want it, I'm not going to give it to Steve, and Steve knows this. He said, I want to go somewhere else, right? So what do I do? So I phoned up the league managers. And it was Jimmy Smith who was the chairman at the time, the general manager at Birmingham, and he said, take it. You know, uh, and I said, well, Steve's a Charlton player. Boy, he's been there forever. And I, he went, no, if they look after Steve, whatever. So I actually told Steve. I actually phoned him up and said, I need to talk to you. And I told him, this is what's happening. And if I don't take it, we're both out. So I was left in the middle. Yeah. And yeah, it was a, it was a difficult time for me. Um, and as I say, when the first couple of games, I was like, not the Charlton boy. I've been at West Ham and elsewhere, but Steve was the Charlton boy. So it was a little bit difficult when I first started off. Um, and then we got ourselves back to the Valley, which was a massive thing for us. And then it went from there. But no, I never gave Steve the, the dirty jobs to do. No. I gave him one, one day. The game we went back to the Valley, we was playing Portsmouth. And we decided, we had Darren Pitcher, who was a right back, who used to be aggressive. And we needed a bit more of that in the middle of the park. And uh, so we decided that Gritty would go right back, Pitcher would go in midfield, and we'd leave Adam Pardew out, right, who was our first signing yeah. right, from Palace. He was our first signing. So we left Pards out, it was as angry, you can imagine how angry he was. And then we're doing a bit of, uh, sh not shadow, but 11 versus 11. And Pards is trying to do gritty. <laughs> He's trying to, you know, he wasn't, because, you know, he thought that if he, you know, if gritty was out, then Pitcher go back to yeah. right back and he'd come back in. And he's never forgiven me, I don't think, Pards, ever since. Mucking about. Yeah, yeah. Seen but yeah. it was a big decision. And, uh, you know, we made it. <coughs> and, um, you know, we had to make sure that we got our story straight. If the chairman asked why. Story straight. Sound like criminals. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. if, he phoned up, if he phoned up and got, say, Jody, it might tell him a different thing. Five. As, Five. Opposed, <laughs> as opposed to what I, was, I told him. Yeah. Mm. So we had to make mm. sure. And in front of the players, we had to make sure. Like if Steve won the day, which he did a couple of times on team selection, I'd have to go with it. You know, I couldn't stand there going, I ain't happy with that. So was, was, you said Gritty was right back. At he so, so he was a play when he was, he was helping coach, you. I was as well. Right. I played about 10 games. Oh, right. I didn't while know that. We was, while we was playing you, coach. You went back to Charlton as a player coach initially with Yeah, Lodge, I went back right? as player coach, first team player coach. Yeah. Steve was reserve team player coach, but when I was with Lenny in his final season, I played about 10 games. <laughs> and then Gritty was playing as well. And then when we both took over, I think I played about three, and Gritty played more. Oh, I, didn't more know, I didn't realise that, that you right? both, yeah. both were playing. Both player coaches, yeah. yeah um, but we had, when, when we took over, we had 14 players. Did you ever have to flip a coin to make a decision because you couldn't agree? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did? Literally yeah. flipped a coin? Yeah. yeah. Because... We had to be fair with each other, you know, and uh, as I say, in front of the players especially. You know, say we were leaving a player out, we both had to do it. Both had to be there, you know. Um, but I was asked earlier about my time at Charlton, 15, 16 years. The first 18 months at Upton Park, I remember fondly, because we had fantastic senior pros. Bob Boulder, Steve Gatton, Johnny Bumstead, Colin Walsh, you know, players that you... Mm -hmm. A bit like you could just say that's what we want, and it'd be done. Robert Lee and uh, other players. So we was lucky. We inherited a real senior squad that just got on with it, playing at Upton Park, you know, for 18 months. But we got through that and got back to the ground.
we digress completely from yeah. Toronto. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I'm so fascinated by the idea of, of um, joint managers. I mean, Jody, can you imagine a concept like that making sense to the modern players that we see today? Do you, can you imagine an idea like it working with them even? Not, no, not a chance, I don't think. I've, the, the time that it happened, the most recent that, well, I remember, I don't know if you guys, was the Liverpool one, though, with Roy, Roy Evans. Evan, yeah, and even, even then... That, I know that was a long time ago. Um, I thought, nah, that would never work. Me being a, a player at that time, or quite soon after that, was like, that's never going to work. Like, two people. I mean, the the fact that one, I I know what how much you can disagree with someone who's the manager as uh, an assistant. You, which is your right. Yeah, and and which what what, yeah. what I would want if yeah. or I I had it in. The under 18s at Chelsea. I want my staff to be completely honest with me and tell me what their their opinion is, and then you, as the manager, you you get the the final say. But I know how much you can disagree as a coaching staff. I can imagine if there's two, and then do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. I think it's hard enough job as it is when you're when you're the manager, let alone sharing it with somebody. Do you know what I mean? I think I think that then too many. Was it too many cooks? Too many cooks? Small the broth. Yeah, small the broth. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Uh, We'd have to take different training sessions as well, you know. Well, different uh, training well, sessions. I, yeah, but yeah. see, I, that, that's what I mean. I can totally see that. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, Gritty was a defender. I was an attacking midfield player, really, or, or whatever. And I used to enjoy that, that side of it. And, and Gritty would take, you know, do the defending side. Uh, but then at some times, at some stage, back to amalgamate. So who's going to take the final session? So like. Monday and Tuesday, you'd be working on defence, I'll be working on attacking stuff, and then you'll get to Thursday and you're going to announce the team. So who's going to, who's going to take that session? Mm. When, you know it, I mean? when it came to dealing with players, did you have a good cop, bad cop routine? Uh, not really. No, not really. Just... I was mostly bad. I'm going to fall. But um, no, we've done it together. Okay. As I say, we've done everything together. Um, we didn't have nothing to do with contracts. That got passed upstairs, so we had no confrontations with the players on money or anything like that. Um, Christmas dinners, you spent the costs? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, listen, if it hadn't have happened, I would yeah. never have been a manager, I don't think. You've got to be at the right place at the right time. And me and Steve were at the right place at the right time. He then went off to, to uh, Brighton as a manager. And I think he ended up at Millwall as well for, for a little while, Steve. Mm. He's now still, he's at Dagenham and Redbridge. Yeah. yeah, as the assistant manager. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he stayed in, but uh, and we see each other occasionally. We're going to see each other in December because it's thirty years since the club went back to the valley. So they've got a lot of celebrations going mm. on, and he's threatening to play in the Legends game. I'm not going to be in the ring. <laughs> but no, we got on, we got on very well afterwards as well, because I think he realised that that the decision was made, and if I didn't accept it, I was out as well. So I had to take. It was difficult for me at the time. I must admit. Oh, look, here, here we are 30 years later or so, when um, only one person in this room actually has a stand named after him. It's, oh, yeah. it's not you, it's not me. It's not doing it that well. Mm. It's yeah. only you. So, yeah. hats off to, to the career that you've had, starting yeah. all the way back then as a player coach yeah. and yeah. a joint manager. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing legacy. Uh, what about yourself? Good cop, bad cop? Is that actually a thing in football? I don't, uh, I don't think you... If you plan for stuff like that, I don't think it's very authentic. Mm. I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. If someone's overdone, if you're 
one of you's overdone maybe being a little bit aggressive or uh, negative towards a certain player a bit much, you you look around going, I can't say that again. You need to come in and say that bit, or I need to. I can't keep saying the same stuff. But I think when you're planning stuff, like, I'm going to be the, I'm going to go in strong with him this time. But I, I don't. I don't think he's very authentic. I've never, I've never worked like that as a manager or, or a coach or or a player or captain. I've I've never been like that. I've always felt, yeah. I think you know inside if you're crossing a line or you're being. A little bit out of order, but I, I, I prefer the straight talking and honest way, whether it's good or bad. In terms of being a good cop as well, I guess you could expand it to the more holistic aspects of football and life away from the pitch. Do you take that as a big responsibility for yourself? Because you started off working with so many youngsters who are now stars, and I've interviewed some of them, and I can safely say they are all fantastic young men. I mean mm. that, not, and I know you take great pride in that. Did you take an active role in trying to be a mentor in everything they, they did? Even choosing an agent, even how to deal with contracts and family issues, whatever it might be. Yeah, well, I, I do think that first and foremost, you, you should try and be a mentor if you can, but without trying too hard. If there's certain things that are, you're not good at or certain things you don't know, like I wouldn't want to comment on an agent say that I would I didn't know if there was anything that I felt that I had experience in or I had an opinion that I felt was worthy of mentioning or talking about yeah I, I cared a lot about the young players that I work with I, I still do um, so I yeah I think there was an, an element of trying to be a mentor I, I made um, far too many mistakes as, as a player um, so I knew some of the pitfalls that some of the wrong roads that I had gone down. Um, but I also knew some of the things that I did really well and that served me well uh, as a player. So I think you've got, a, nowadays, I think, I think there's any help that you can give to a player. Luckily, I was, I mean, I was caretaker manager for a small time at St Johnston, funny enough, in an almost share, sharing sort of role, <laughs> like, but, but not with another playing um, type one. But, um, but yeah, I was lucky enough to work at a place like Chelsea that have so many facilities and resources um, to help the youngsters. Um, I honestly think some of the, the best stuff that I did with the players was not bullshit them yeah. and tell them straight. Like I know that everyone says the game's moved on and the game's changed and you can't do this and the modern player this and the modern player that. I was still... I'd done so many things that I was lucky enough to be coached by Keith Blunt at the National School um, at Lillyshaw and there was plenty of things that I was still doing with roughly the same age group, a little bit older, that he was doing with me. Um, and I think sometimes when you've had a, someone who's mentored you or coached you really well or has maybe played a, a part in your <coughs> career, in your upbringing, in your education and football, if it sticks with you, same as some of the bad stuff or some of the yeah. things that didn't work for you. So I think you try and draw on your experiences and you also got to try and, I mean, I went, went on a, men I actually got sent on a mentoring course from the Chelsea, when we're talking about resources, they, there was maybe four or five of us that got sent on one that, to a, a place that specialised in that, just to help take from it what you want. Don't take some of the things that you maybe don't believe in. You still got to be, as much as you can go in these courses and being told, oh, maybe this is the right way. You've got to try and find yourself in the best way that you can 
maybe help people, but at the same time, take every ind individual player differently because they are so different and at that age, changing so much. Yeah. I mean, you can go two months, I mean, two months in, in football is long anyway, but two months for a 16, 17 year old is an age and he might, there might have been countless things that's gone on in his life, gone on at school, gone on at, with girlfriends, gone on at home, gone on on the pitch, <coughs> even just the training place. So you've got to, I think, make yourself available, but also don't encroach and maybe be giving advice on things that you kind of don't really know yourself. Sorry, at the same time, it just says, because you work with a lot of youngsters yourself, and mm. thinking about what you're mentioning, Jody, a lot of these players don't have anyone to turn to because there's no relatability. Like, my late father was a banker. If I was to talk to him about this line of work, he wouldn't understand. No, no. I can't talk to him. I started when I was 18. I'm sure, unless you're Alex Bruce or Kasper Schmeichel, whose father came from football, there's mm. no one you can turn to, and you're putting your entire trust as a youngster in a manager, a coach, whoever it might be. Yeah, and it can be very lonely, being a young player. Were um, you lonely? Uh, yeah, when I was at West Ham, um, I couldn't understand why John Lyle wasn't playing me. Um, I played nearly 100 games and since I was 17, and suddenly I wasn't being played. And, and if, if John Lyle would have said to me, two and two was four, I'd have said it was five for definite. If he'd have said me that was black, I'd have said it was white. That's how it was. Um, and, you know, I always remember them times. You know, going home, worrying about your contract, worrying about this, worrying about that. And yeah, who, who can you talk to? It's a sign of weakness sometimes if you want to ask advice from people and mentoring and, and that. And the League Managers Association has been very keen, and I've said this before, for some of the senior people who are not working in football at the moment to be mentors to some of the younger uh, managers that are coming through and coaches. Because, yeah. 60%, 60% of first-time managers never get another job. That high in the yeah. Mind. Yeah. So that first job, you've got to be some, some way successful. So Johnny Jackson's left Charlton. He's managed to get another job at, at, at Wimbledon. He's been very lucky to do that because people would have looked at that and gone, oh, he's only been a manager for six or seven months. And, you know, but he's, he's, he's managed to get back in. 60% of first-time managers never get another job. So that means you've got to be successful in that first one. Or if you're a bit of a name, you may you may manage to do it if you're not being successful, but get another chance. So it, 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 when it's not going so well, it's, it's, it's a very lonely place, even for the top managers. Let me tell you, mm. it's been lonely for Moisey at the moment. You know, he'd be sitting there uh, wondering how's he going to turn it around this weekend. You know, what's he going to do? Perhaps he's going to leave this one out, that one out. I need to get in the transfer market. He'd be working 24 hours a day now because that bad start and. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily get some confidence from your chairman. You know, where are you going to get a bit of confidence from? And, uh, you know, so we've been keen to try and get some mentors out there. And the problem with that is, is that the young manager may see that as a threat, that senior managers are in and around it. Yeah. Or the chairman may see it as a weakness. So we're trying to educate the chairman, and we're trying to educate the young manager as well, that why don't you just ask someone to have another look or have you thought about doing this have you thought about perhaps doing that 
are you sure you think that you know oh no you're doing a really good job you stick with it it's just another voice that they can talk to um which i never really had and uh, you know i don't know uh, when when Jody was playing but i never really had anybody else you had to look after yourself mm. and you know people are talking about players not being mentally tough now um and perhaps it's because the upbringing is totally different to what we had you had to get on with it you know True. I think one of the most heartbreaking articles or stories that I've read was when Danielson, who used to play for Arsenal, came out on the Players' Tribune and uh, wrote and, and revealed the story about his struggles at Arsenal and why that eventually led to him um, struggling for form and eventually leaving the club altogether. He obviously came to the club as an incredibly uh, talented player, someone that Arsene Wenger really wanted to build and, and nurture at the club. But he struggled with that loneliness bit. He struggled with the massive cultural differences, the loneliness, coming home after training to your home alone. Um, and I remember reading that and just... It was it was a side of a footballer's life that, as fans, you never really think of, you never really focus on. You think they're lucky, they think they're Exactly, lucky, right? Yeah. Playing in the Premier League, biggest league on the planet, you're probably earning big bucks. It's a glamorous lifestyle. Uh, but you never really think about that loneliness. And I'm really fascinated by the points that, you've, that, that Jody and Alan... You both have brought up, um, Jody. From your point of view, as as someone has been um, on the pitch and as someone has also been uh, behind the scenes now, was there instances where you've seen a foreign player come to your team and really desperately struggled with that part of the game? Loads, loads of times, and <clears throat> and we actually we actually used to be made aware of it. We used to hold regular meetings, and even that most of that happened at under eighteen level. Um, over in the academy, but even when we uh, was at Derby, when we came back to Chelsea, there was not so much at Derby because there wasn't kind of the time or the the players coming over from different countries. But we had players on loan that we had to check that were living on their own for the first time, that were on their own. You need to make sure that they're okay. And it, it, going back to Chelsea at the academy, when I was managing staff, it was like every morning you'd have a meeting and go, right, has anyone got anything to, you'd have the medical in there, you'd have the, the player welfare person, you'd have um, your, your other staff members, your, your coaches, you'd have the analyst, analyst guys in there who a lot of the players would go and work with in the afternoons and sometimes they'd have one-on-one -on -one times where we'd get really, really good feedback from, well, my, my analyst, Chris Dandrin, was, was great. He'd say, just to let you know, in the afternoon, Yesterday, so-and-so player mentioned that he's feeling a bit low, he hasn't mm. been home for a certain yeah. amount of time. And these instances happened probably too many times for me to, well, definitely too many times for me to remember. And then it was like, okay, what do we do about it? Do we need to go and get someone in a little bit higher up? Do we need to go to the top of, do we need to speak to Neil Bath? This needs to be addressed. Do we need to speak to parents? Do we need to speak to house parents? It went on like, as I said, when I saw the the amount of work and hours and dedication that went in to try and help these lads as human beings first, um, ultimately to make them players, but no one's going to be a top player if they're in turmoil 24 hours a day. So um, I have to say I was I was astounded with how good Chelsea were with that, and it actually helped me become better at understanding and keeping an eye out for certain things because I was similar to Alan a lot I was from a generation where it was kind of like yeah you, 
you crack on. But it's, it's certainly not like that now. Players can talk <coughs> and play. You do get mentally tough players now. I've, I've seen it straight up, but they have got a lot more help and there's more eyes and people that are more sympathetic or have a lot more empathy for players that are just not supposed to get on with it because they're earning a certain amount of, do- a certain amount of dough. With the advent of the Premier League, you've got player liaison officers, you've got psychologists that players will go and see and probably share more than they would ever share with a manager. And then you hope that at some stage that will get filtered back to you, you know, so that you can realise that perhaps you do need to do something different with this player and help him out. And, uh, you know, players, especially the foreign players, and everyone talks about the foreign players more, even in the academy, because so many foreign players are in the academies now. It is that loneliness. The one time it really struck me was we signed a player whose whose wife was pregnant. (coughs) And... So he's coming training, and, and he's coming training, and we do everything for him. We give him his breakfast, we give him his lunch, we give him this, we give him that. But who's looking after the wife? Yeah. Who can't get a doctor's appointment, or you know she's feeling low, but you know she's morning sickness and all that sort of stuff. And then he's going home to it, and he's had a lovely day. You know he's trained, he's been fed, he's been this, he's that. He goes home, and he's got you know. So the ad- the advent of player liaison officers have been magnificent. And their sole job is to make sure, not just the player, but the family is looked after. Yeah, uh, I guess we've got, we've got to wrap things up really soon. But just hearing you both talk about this, I'm sure you heard about the Arsenal documentary. One thing that struck me was the perspective of the manager there. And I was watching the show and Nuno Tavares, he had been signed. He got off to a great start. But there's a scene where Arteta is talking with his staff and he says, Tavar- Nuno Tavares is a quiet guy. And we need to figure out a way that we can communicate better with him to find out how he is. Because right now he's giving like one word answers. So you could see that was a challenge a manager face. And you don't really think about these other facets of management. Mm. Where you're a teacher effectively and you need to figure out how to communicate with your pupils, i.e. the players. A lot to think about. But we do have to wrap things up because in less than an hour we're going to be live for Manchester United versus Liverpool. And I need more makeup than these guys. (laughs) Sorry about that. Do, Who needs a psychologist out of these two managers? <laughs> well, I'll leave that to the two of you. Maybe into the well, if you'd seen us on the golf course earlier, you'd say both of us need a lot <laughs> of help. I'm talking about the United and Liverpool. Oh, right. Who's going to need a little bit of help oh, after, yeah. after tonight? After 90 yeah. minutes, we'll have the answer for that, I reckon. But I want to thank both of you for joining us here today for the Pleasure. conversation. Yeah, thank Cheers. you so much, Jody. Thank you, Ellen. Um, it's been absolutely brilliant having you guys on the show. Cheers. Till next time.